0: In 658 BC, workmen doing repairs on the neglected temple in Jerusalem discovered the long-forgotten book of the law. The king's secretary, Shaphan, brought it to the attention of the king. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, he said, and he read it before the king. Uh, 2 Kings 22.11 describes what happened next. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He sent some of his advisors, saying to them, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Now, this was King Josiah, one of Israel's greatest kings, following his discovery or rediscovery of the Bible. And he was so moved, he was so convicted by the word of God, that he set in motion a great program of reform. Uh, There was much evil to be undone, uh, because during the reign of King uh, Manasseh and his son Ammon, whom Josiah followed, there had been a half a century of deliberate idolatry and state-sponsored open worship of false, the false gods of Canaan and Assyria. Um, there had been um, and the encouragement of the black magic arts of necromancy, even human sacrifice. With the help of God's prophet, Jeremiah, uh, Josiah accomplished much to restore uh, Judah to the worship of the true and living God. But Josiah dies and is replaced soon by his son uh, Jehoiakim, who leads the nations back into black idolatry. And Jeremiah finds himself faced again with the unhappy task of bringing the Bible, the Word of God, to a people who did not want to hear it, and a king who wants him dead, and who, when he hears the Word of God, reacts very differently than his father, King Josiah. So please turn with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 36.. This is a great read. You'll be glad you're reading this this morning. It's a great passage. Um, so, so read along and uh, keep your Bible open. Jeremiah uh, chapter thirty-six. The word of God. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, uh, his word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil ways and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written in, uh, at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of the cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come from the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil ways, for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the skull the words of the Lord uh, in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, (coughs) the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then, in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. When Machiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. Elishama the secretary, Deliah the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan the son of Achbor, Gemariah the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micaiah told them all the words, that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of <coughs> Nathaniah, the son of Shelemiah, uh, the uh, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear, and they said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? And Baruch answered them, He dictated all these words to me, while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Baruch, Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So they went into the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and took it from the chamber of Elishama the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before them. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and uh, Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded uh, Jeremiah the king's son, and Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shemiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch the secretary and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim The king of Judah has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, Why have you written it in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast uh, out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their uh, their iniquity. Uh, I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I proclaimed against them, but they would not hear." Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. Well, here in this text, um, we have an insight on, uh, on how we get the words of, of God in, in the scriptures. Here we have described for us how the prophet Jeremiah uh, takes the spoken word and changes it into the written word. God speaks to him and he writes it down. It's how we get the Bible. Uh, and Baruch is very careful uh, to copy this scroll in common language Jeremiah's words that are given to him by God. Actually, it was probably an abstract, uh, we're told it was an abstract, an abridgment of all God's words that he had received over the last years. It was a recapitulation or a review, to present to the people, yet again, God's admonitions to them. But more importantly, isn't it clear from these opening verses that Jeremiah is giving the people God's word? God clearly says in verse 2, take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you. And again in verse 30, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah. These are the words that Baruch wrote down, as to write down God's words as given to the prophet. Uh, The words of Jeremiah are not ultimately Jeremiah's words, but God's word to his people through Jeremiah. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews understands this. um, Naming God the Holy Spirit as the author of words he quotes from Jeremiah in Hebrews 10.15, when he says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, and then follows a quotation from Jeremiah given uh, by God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Apostle Peter explains this very clearly in 2 Peter 1.21-22, where he says, no prophecy uh, uh, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The power of And the importance of these words and all the words of the Bible come from the bare fact that they are the very words of God. And it's man's natural resistance to his word, man's denial that they're hearing uh, God's word, that's so sharply illustrated uh, in this uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, And Notice uh, here how God's word is so purposeful. Uh, We see that, that the great reason... Or a purpose that God speaks to us and has caused His word to be written down for us so that we might know Him, and that we might, and that He might save His people from their sins. Um, uh, Dr. Ferguson said this much more uh, more, uh, and w- 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 more beautifully than, than I'm putting it. but you, you get the point, don't you, that this is God's purpose. God declares His purpose. Uh, Straight away, in Jeremiah 36, verse 3, and again in verse 2, he says, take a scroll and write all the words I have spoken to you uh, against Israel and Judah and the nations. It may be, he says in verse 3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear of the disaster I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from their evil ways and I might forgive their iniquity and their sin. You see, in God's mysterious providence, even the threats are purposed to convict us and to convert us. Uh, why else, writes uh, Derek Kidner, uh, should he pour out threats uh, rather than immediate action unless it's to bring us to our senses and, and bring us, uh, our senses uh, to our feet? Uh, why make promises unless to rouse us uh, uh, into partnership uh, of trust? As wicked... And as far gone uh, as the people of Judah in the days of Jehoiakim were, God still sends uh, his prophet Jeremiah with words. The means in which he intends to work in their heart and change things is through words, but not any words. It's his word, and his word is powerful. His word changes people. Um, And so it's uh, words with, with promises and threats reminding us Um, And reminding the king yet again of all the things that they'd heard from Jeremiah. Write it down, he says. Read it to them. Read it again. It may be, uh, Jeremiah says to Baruch in verse 7, that their plea for mercy will come up to the Lord, that everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the wrath that God has pronounced against his people. When you hear the word of God from the mouth of his minister. It's a purposeful word uh, that God desires us to hear uh, and, and we need to hear it for the saving of our souls and for our growth in grace and maturity. Now we learn one other thing, don't we see also something about the indestructibility of the word? Uh, King Jehoiakim thinks he's very clever, and he cuts it up as it, as it sort of, as it, the scroll is being read. He reaches over and, with a sharp knife, uh, cuts it up um, and burns it, thinking that will suit his purposes. But God uh, mercifully arranges for another copy. <laughs> the very words that the king had so hated and so feared in his heart, well, <laughs> they were not only perfectly fulfilled but we actually have them in our, uh, many of them in our hands to this very day. And history is full of such examples. In the early years of the English Reformation, God raised up a wonderful man by the name of William Tyndall to translate and publish the New Testament in common English. He wanted everyone to be able to pick up a Bible and read it. And, and not just scholars. Uh, but uh, Cardinal Woolsey and William Warren, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and, and Thomas More, who are all very powerful men, uh, all attacked him relentlessly and sought to literally burn his Bibles to collect them and burn them in every town wherever they appeared. But it didn't work. It never does. People have been burning Bibles since the days of Je- Jehoiakim right down to the present. Uh, This first attempted, uh, first recorded attempt to uh, obliterate the word of God, writes uh, Dr. Kidner, is something of a foretaste of the attacks on it in days to come by skeptics, by persecutors, uh, and with whatever, whatever good intent, by the rash use of the scholar's knife. For what this king could never reach with his knife and fire was, of course, the divine author, and God in his infinite mercy and forbearance always has and always will preserve his word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever." Well, so much for the nature of the word. Given to men, purposeful, indestructible. The second great thing you need to see in this text of scripture is the great collision Uh, that inevitably occurs with the appearance and presentation of the Word of God. It's controversial. Uh, It collides with our hearts. It collides with our world. It collides with our culture. And it collides with human authority. Um, At this point, in the book of Jeremiah... Uh, the prophet has been declared persona non grata by King Jehoiakim. That means he's, he's forbidden to go into the temple precincts. Uh, the king doesn't want him stirring up the people. And so he forbids him to do that. So he sends his faithful secretary, Baruch, to read the scroll with the words. And in the end of the day, in fact, God's word has been read three times over in, the, in various places. The first to read it, uh, or hear it, are the people uh, gathered uh, for a fast day in the temple precincts. It appears he does this probably from the balcony of the chamber of Gemariah, uh, the secretary. And there doesn't appear to be any kind of great reaction on the part of the people, uh, at least that we can tell. There's no alarm, there's no outcry, there's no tearing of robes. Um, In their hearts, perhaps they've pretty much rejected all of this. Um, There's nothing recorded. Uh, But the second reading creates a very different reaction. In the second reading, that occurs before um, uh, some of the princes of Judah and other officials. Uh, They hear about this being read to the people, and they say to Baruch, verse 14, Take in your hands a scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them, and they said to him, sit down and read it. And so Baruch read it to them. And notice what happens in verse 16. When they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear, and they said to Baruch, we must report these words to the king. You see, these princes who heard the word from the mouth of Baruch they react the same way Josiah reacted. Do you remember that? Back I spoke of it earlier at the very beginning. Josiah hears the words of the book of the law, and he demonstrates the fear of God. He tears his clothes, for he understood that, that God's word. Uh, and his, their nation was; in, they were in great conflict between him and the word of God, and they were living in rejection of God. And they were seeking to rule and run their lives, their idolatrous lives, without God altogether. The consequences of which are, are always uh, uh, disastrous. Well, uh, he sends... So these advisors, uh, having uh, heard the word themselves, um, uh, they, um, in the case of, of, of Josiah, uh, there was some, some great immediate changes. Uh, Josiah actually reaches out and he cleanses the temple of all the vessels made for Baal and Ashtra and the Queen of Heaven. He he deposes the unfaithful priests. He breaks down the the, the house of the male cult prostitutes. He tears down the high altars. He, he puts away the mediums and the necro, necromancers and he commands the people to, to celebrate the Passover and to reestablish the word of God in the life of the nation. Listen to me. Have you ever been moved by the Word of God, brethren? Have you ever reacted with fear and concern when you've heard a passage of Scripture? Has God the Holy Spirit, of which uh, we we heard earlier on, that bears witness with the Word? You see, the powerful thing about the Scripture is because it's God's Word, God the Holy Spirit takes it and works in our hearts. It's God's Word, regardless of what happens. But when God, the Holy Spirit, uh, moves in our hearts through it, then uh, wonderful things can happen. And uh, I hope you've experienced that. Um, uh, and that, that, you, uh, that you can think of your life and think of occasions when you, that were changed when you reacted to the scriptures that said, I need to do something about this. Um, do you seriously believe that, that God has changed uh, do you suppose that, that God is any less offended with those who have broken his holy law, who seek to dismiss him in this day and age? Do you, what reason do you have to believe that God is less angry today than those who sought to deny him and denigrate him in the past and make themselves God in his place? Our larger catechism admonishes us that it's required of those who hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the Scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind, as the Word of God, meditate and confer uh, of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Likewise, the, the confession. Uh, speaking of saving faith, tells us that by this faith a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the word because of the authority of God speaking um, in it. Uh, He also responds differently to what each particular passage contains. Obeying the commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God for his life and that which is to come but the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and the eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Well, uh, it's the second group then that we've uh, seen in this text um, those who respond with some godly fear. But that's not the case uh, with everyone. Uh, consider the third group that hears the words from the scroll. And of course I'm referring to the king and his counselors who are gathered together in the winter quarters uh, warming themselves around a fire pot. Now the first thing that the princes and palace officials do is to secure the role and hide the prophet and his helper. Don't they know what this king is like? And sure enough, they bring uh, the scroll to be heard by the king. And we're told, we read in verse 23, that as Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire and the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed with fire that was in the fire pot. Uh, so this cold-hearted, deliberate, and methodical cutting and burning of the scroll was not just a, a knee-jerk reaction, but a, but a cool act of defiance. You understand why he's doing this, don't you? It's because so far as he's concerned, Jeremiah is a dangerous man, just the way you might be considered a dangerous man as you uh, relay the scriptures and share the scriptures with some. He's a man who, in his opinion, the king's opinion is, is, is preaching sedition. He's telling the people, the Babylonians uh, uh, are coming with, uh, as the rod of God to punish them from their uh, idolatry and destroy their city. Look at verse 29. The king says, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land? But Mr. King, those are not Jeremiah's words. They're the word of God. Well, perhaps... But they're in direct collision with this proud agenda of the King of Israel. And he doesn't want to hear it. And that's the way it is, isn't it? God's words sometimes collide with our will and with our way. I remember a college student that I met at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay campus, who described a high school Um, A gym teacher taking in his hand a Bible uh, and standing in front of an assembly of young people and forcefully hurling it, throwing it across the road smashing it into the wall on the other side of the gymnasium to show his utter disdain of the Bible. That's how he dealt with the confrontation of God's word uh, in the presence of those impressionable young people. How that man will ever explain himself before the Lord on the last day, I do not know. Verse 24. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid. They did not tear their garments. Verse 25. Even when Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the skull, he would not listen to them. And then the king commanded, Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shalomiah, the son of to Abdiah, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. that the Lord had hid them. In other words, instead of his heart being burned with fear or, con- or conviction, the king's heart was burning with rage. Instead of being cut to the quick by the word of, of the Lord, he cut and burned the word with fire. And so... Consigned himself and Jerusalem to fire and destruction at the hand of the Babylonian conqueror, Nebuchadnezzar, a short 20 years later to come, the very thing the king most feared. So, how do you receive the word of God? Do you treat it dismissively? Do you say in your heart, if, if not in your mouth, those worn, tragic, faithless, wicked words of the devil himself, who, when reminded by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden of God's word, his command for them not to eat of the forbidden fruit, responded, <laughs> Did God really say? Well, that's what people say, isn't it? Maybe that's what you said. Did God really say this? Maybe you've embraced that that rebellious attitude toward the Bible itself. There are good intellectual reasons to believe this is the Word of God, but that aside, as the Confession says, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that ultimately should tell you that this is God's Word. Maybe you hardly even hear it, though, or read it yourself. Hardly respond to it or never change by it. May genito, may God forbid. Well, certainly, if one thing is clear from this text, it should also be how God is taking pains to show us how vain and useless it is not to bow and concede to God's word. Brethren, it's hard to fight God. It's absolutely futile and absurd. Uh, The worst we can do is burn the Word and execute the prophets, which is the way of the world. If uh, Jehoiakim uh, tried to to destroy uh, the written Word with fire, Pontius Pilate and the ruling Jews of Jerusalem sought to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God in flesh on the cross. The Father's best and last offer. The final and greatest prophet of them all. The very Word of God incarnate cut him off and be rid of his dangerous words. But the Father resurrected him. How could anyone suppose that they could be so easily rid of Christ and his holy gospel and God's purpose for them from the beginning of time? How could anyone even wish for such a thing? Sin really does deceive us and blind us, doesn't it? In a bigger picture, even in this text and throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah and throughout the entire Bible, we can very clearly see God's most gracious and persistent grace, persistent grace in, in his word. Um, he, he, he hides the prophet Jeremiah from the murderous hands of Jehoiakim that he might yet continue to appeal uh, and to appear to his people and their kings for some years yet to come and to continue to plead with them to turn in repentance and faith to the Lord. And, and he resurrected his beloved son, our Savior, in the days of Pilate and Herod. Indeed, that day of grace and opportunity still remains, even now. Yes, God's word, um, God's purpose and person, even his son, the risen Savior, uh, exists in continual collision, a continual collision course with our sinful hearts and with our world and our culture and from time to time even our governments. But thank God that he persists and graciously continues to send his word and his prophets to appear before our faces and to, uh, that we might turn from our idolatry and our idiocy And he might forgive us uh, our iniquity and our sins. Uh, Thank God that he sent that final prophet, priest and king, to live with us and speak to us and die for us that we might be saved. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for this uh, very revealing picture. Uh, What a contemporary picture, Lord. It it, it is what men do with your word. And yet it also shows us the power of your word and the continuing grace of your word. Lord, we pray that we might take it up in our hearts and receive it, be changed by it, and fall in love with it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.